0: Welcome to another episode of the Sports Sentiment. I am your host, Nick Urias, and after nearly two and a half months of no podcasting, no episodes, no content, no nothing, I am proud to say that we are back for what many people would consider the average Jeffrey or Joe the dog days of summer, a dead time within the sports world with... The NFL preseason just three weeks away. The college football season six weeks away. This is kind of the calm before the storm. And it's all-star break game. However you want to phrase it. So not a lot of stuff going on, but the NBA, the National Basketball Association, I have to say, give the NBA credit. They've been they've been rising to the occasion and uh giving their fans a good product. Even even during its offseason when the stars are not on the floor and everybody is on their trip to Cabo and Cancun and Jamaica or wherever you take vacations now, wherever NBA players take their vacations now. These young guys that are coming up to the league, they've been fun to watch within the summer league. And of course, the NBA free agency, the which always provides something exciting and the soap opera and. Within the NBA, within all of its star players wanting to move teams and requesting trades. There's always something with these basketball players. And it's good entertainment, I'll give it to them. But anywho, we're here to talk NBA basketball today. For what's really just a reboot episode, if you will. Before we get into all the football talk that is rapidly approaching. And what I mean we're going to have a lot of football talk... I truly mean it. Last year, when we launched this podcast, we had we were prim- primarily M- NFL heavy. But as somebody that goes to San Jose State, not only as a student, but covers the team and broadcasts pretty much all a large majority of their athletics f- between football, basketball, and baseball year-round, we're going to be getting into a lot of college football talk here on this podcast. Whether it's the Mountain West Conference, which is where the San Jose State Spartans, the conference that they play in, but also just from a a national landscape perspective on the college football world as well. Really looking forward to that. It's going to be a busy fall from my perspective, but most definitely ready for it. It's partially a reason why we took a two-month break from this podcast because we're just getting ready for The beast that's about to come our way but we're ready for it and we're gonna try to make sure that we pump out content here on the sports sentiment regularly until then we're gonna keep everybody entertained here with some interesting and uh fascinating uh nba now as far as the nba is concerned we kind of left everybody on the cliffhanger as the last episode we published was The first round playoff series between the Golden State Warriors and the Sacramento Kings. And just kind of our post-series thoughts on that seven-game series, which was an absolute thriller to watch from start to finish. And a reason why we didn't follow up with that was just because of the heartbreak that I suffered after the Warriors lost to the Lakers. And on top of all that, we just kind of had a lot of stuff going on on our end. We already do a sports weekly radio show, I do, uh, within San Jose State's student radio station, KSJS, uh, every Thursday from 1 to 2 p.m., where we just talk sports. We run the gauntlet on everything, whether it's collegiately, professionally, give our own opinions, perspectives. So if you want more of that, you could tune into 90.5 KSJS. KSJS.org slash listen every Thursday from 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. So a lot of good stuff going on over there. But hey, the Warriors lost to the Lakers. You got to give the Lakers kudos. They were clearly the better team in that playoff series. But they eventually got swept by the Denver Nuggets. The Denver Nuggets being the eventual NBA champion as they beat the Miami Heat in a five-game series in the NBA Finals. Two teams that you couldn't go wrong rooting for. The Miami Heat went on that Cinderella run, literally being a play-in tournament team, going all the way to the Finals. And the Denver Nuggets, hands down from start to finish, the best team in the NBA all year long. So two teams that were really not hateable teams by any stretch. And many may see, many may say that series between the Heat and the Nuggets was boring. I found it to be wild, wildly exciting. Games 2 and 5 in that series that were pretty much close from start to finish. Just the grit and grind of that Miami Heat team. And then the Denver Nuggets on the other side being centralized around Nikola Jokic. Just, you can't hate the guy. 7-foot center. We've never seen, maybe within the past decade... You can argue even longer. A player like him, the number one option of a team, a team that is built around a seven-foot center. The Golden State Warriors really translated the the game, if you will, with with the three-point shot and the ability for pretty much everybody on the floor to shoot threes. Sure, Nikola Jokic, he could shoot at threes, but his ability to score at all three levels, his creativity... Scoring the ball, his ability to get other people open. Just one of the more fascinating players to watch. Great for the game, likable star. His nickname's the Joker, he's a funny dude. And the Denver Nuggets won their first ever championship in their franchise history. Can't go wrong with that at all. But in this episode, like I mentioned we want to get into the the NBA offseason between the NBA draft the summer league and the soap opera within the free agency and the trade requests that all their star players like to do and so let's get into the first of the blockbuster trades in the NBA and let's start out with Bradley Beal traded to the Phoenix Suns from the Washington Wizards Bradley Beal who's been a pretty much a consistent 25 Points per game scored throughout of it throughout his career, playing his entire career in Washington. So a change change of scenery for Bradley Beal. I respect it. I respect Bradley Beal for staying in Washington for as long as he did, but he kind of screwed them over on the way out here. Said that he wanted to build a winner in Washington. Management really didn't do him any favors. And providing him with the proper supporting cast around him. He signed a five year 250 million dollar contract. A year ago. Served the first year of that deal. But here's the catch. In that five year contract that he signed. He made sure that he got the no trade clause within his contract. Which if you don't know what that means. Basically means that. Organization cannot trade him without the express written consent of him and his agent. Now that put the now that put the Wizards in a sticky pickle because Bradley Beal basically gave when he requested a trade gave the Wizards a short list of where he wanted to play. One of those teams were the Phoenix Suns. What does that mean for the Washington Wizards? They only get so many good resources. They're not going to get the best offer from the remainder 29 teams. It's going to be on Bradley Beal's probably short list of five teams. And they're going to have to go with the most desirable deal for the Wizards. So the Wizards, you know, they got Chris Paul. They got Landry Shamit, A couple second round picks. Not the best sort of deal for Washington. We'll get into Chris Paul a little bit later because he ended up getting flipped in another deal but a massive win for Bradley Beal and give his agent tons of credit for playing a good game of chess as far as Beal on the Phoenix Suns is concerned he's going to be paired up with Devin Booker and Kevin Durant along with a, a bunch of veteran minimum dudes on some on a on a small deal and a small contract i personally don't buy into it This whole Phoenix Suns thing with their three headed monster and what they got going over there. Not the biggest fan of it. This is, we saw what they did last year. There's only one ball with three superstars on a team between KD, Devin Booker, and Bradley Beal. Somebody's going to have to play off the ball and sit in the corner until they get the ball. You know, they're going to have to settle these chemistry issues and not to mention when you got a top heavy team like the phoenix suns do now all it takes is one injury from one of their stars and we saw that last year with the phoenix suns with their new look that they put together with chris paul kevin durant and devin booker cp3 you could call him a star whatever he got hurt they had some other key players get hurt And you can see they just had to outscore, practically, the Denver Nuggets for a seven-game series. In one game, that's fine. In the regular season, it's going to do some damage. But when it comes to these best-of-seven-game series, you're going to need playoff performers that can guard these big-time players defensively. And I just don't see that with the Phoenix Suns. But they're going to be really good in the regular season. Now, going from the desert... To the East Coast, let's go to the Boston Celtics as they made a massive splash in acquiring Kristaps Porzingis from the Washington Wizards. The Wizards are in full sell mode as the seven foot three power forward Kristaps Porzingis is going to the Boston Celtics. A three team deal gets him there with the Wizards and the Memphis Grizzlies. The Washington Wizards. Basically got Tyus Jones from the Grizzlies and the Celtics sended Marcus Smart to the Memphis Grizzlies, which I thought was pretty big. Let's start out with Chris tapps I'm not the biggest fan of Chris Stapps, if I'm being completely honest. Seven foot three. He's more of a s he's been that stretch forward type big. He's gotta change his game. I'm really interested and intrigued to see how he plays in Boston because he's been the number one option on two loser franchises with the New York Knicks and the Washington Wizards, at least when he was there. So he was basically their number one option on two bad teams that weren't contending. And despite him being 7-3, all he would do is just stand beyond the three-point line and just chuck up threes. When you're 7-3, you got to go in the post. He needs to get into the post more. Interesting to see if that happens in Boston. But Again, I don't know how that's going to work out with the Boston Celtics and Joe Mazzula. Joe Mazzula is only in his second year coaching at the professional level. You know, you could just see the inexperience kind of come into play last year with this Boston Celtics roster. He had Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Al Horford. He just seemed a little stumped once when he got into the Eastern Conference Finals against the Miami Heat. Eric Spolstra clearly outcoached him in that seven-game series. And now you're going to add one more star into the equation here. Boston has been contending for so long, ever since Jason Tatum was a rookie. And obviously, you're trying to maximize this window here. You're trying to get over the hump, but they just haven't been able to do that. They lost the NBA Finals in 2021 to the— or 2022, rather— to the Golden State Warriors, and they've been threatening. They threatened last year and even in years past, but they just haven't been able to, you know, put that ring on their finger. And now you're going to add one more element into this Boston tea party with Chris Stapps Porzingis. Interesting to see how he's played along with a similar player in Al Horford. Is Horford going to come off the bench? We shall wait and see. As for the Washington Wizards getting Tyus Jones, I'm a big fan of Tyus Jones. He's an underappreciated backup point guard. Now he's going to be a starter. He was really good with the Memphis Grizzlies. The numbers won't really back it up, but he was one of the best assist to turnover ratio guys. He's going to be on a bad team. He's going to get really good mi- he's going to get a lot of good minutes here with the Washington Wizards and he's going to be productive. With the Wizards, he's going to make other players around him better. And he he played for a small market. He backed up John Morant, so we really didn't get to see it as much. I think Tyus Jones is really going to flourish in a system where, you know, he can actually take over and show off his capabilities offensively when he was just more of a facilitator in Memphis. And Boston Celtics sending Marcus Smart to the Grizzlies. I mean, this one actually surprised me quite a bit as Marcus Smart, you know, he was really one of the, the hard nose, grit and grind type of dudes for the Boston Celtics. This That was the guy that would, you know, run through a wall uh, for that Celtics franchise. He went to the Oklahoma State Cowboys as a college player, obviously a grit and grind type of college program. They bring in a lot of quality defenders over there in Stillwater, Oklahoma, so I'm surprised that Marcus Smart was actually on the table because he's one of those guys that could that could really do it all for a team. He could score. His three-point shot can get hot at the right time. He could rebound, playmake. He also won Defensive Player of the Year not too long ago, a year or two ago. And you're So you're going to get the on-ball defense from him, just a full-on complete player. I would have much rather sent Malcolm Brogdon in a deal In a deal like this, because Brogdon really didn't seem to fit all that much within that Celtics organization in his first year. Marcus Smart's been there since day one, ever since the Isaiah Thomas days, which seems like forever. Like, what, 2014, 2015? He's been there forever. So the fact that Marcus Smart was even on the table for this type of deal, hey, the Celtics really like Kristaps Porzingis. It, it it is what it is Brad Stevens that's why he makes the big bucks that's why he's running the organization but hey i'm really i'm really interested to see especially within this three team deal how each team benefits from the players that they got because i think you know the Boston Celtics they could clearly win a championship with that core on paper the Washington Wizards could really build a foundation around Tyus Jones and Marcus Smart could really plug in what they already got going on there in Memphis, can help out John Morant after all of his off-season debacles and the crap that he's done off the court, and really have that be that Dylan Brooks replacement, that that dude that's going to get in everybody's face and be a more productive Dylan Brooks within a Marcus Smart. So I think... You can make an argument that all three teams won in this deal within the players that they got and returned, especially with Washington in a way that, you know, they really just got a lot of cap space out with Chris Stapps and they got an underrated guy in Tyus Jones. So we shall see what happens there. The final trade. Listen, right right in my backyard, Mike Dunleavy Jr. with the Golden State Warriors taking over at general manager. For Bob Myers, Bob Myers stepped down, and boy, did this guy make a splash, and did he do it in a big-time way. Trading Jordan Poole to the Washington Wizards for Chris Paul. Warriors also sent Patrick Baldwin Jr., as well as Ryan Rollins with a couple draft picks, one being a first-rounder in 2030, a second-rounder in 2027. You get the gist. Now, people maybe are going to hit the panic button and say, what the heck is Mike Dunleavy Jr. doing? But I think this was something that needed to happen. Obviously we all know what happened with Jordan Poole and Draymond Green and the, the infamous punch before the before the season started when Draymond and Poole got into it during the the training camp period at the season. The chemistry was never the same. Poole was kinda down the locker room, kinda took a toll in a way. Things were just weren't right. Jordan Poole also makes a lot of money. And I blame Bob Myers, one of the few mistakes that he made as general manager for the Warriors. I understand. The Warriors just won a championship ring. Jordan Poole was a big part of it. So what did he do? He decided that to th- throw over $30 million for the next four years in his face. And with this new collective bargaining agreement, it just it's not going to work. The CBA, which basically the NBA is trying to eliminate the super teams in the league. They're trying to make sure that teams don't abuse the salary cap and go into the luxury tax, which Joe Lacob has been doing since he bought the Warriors. He's an aggressive owner that wants to win, and it's pay dividends as the Warriors just keep hanging up banners with this core group with Steph, Clay, and Dre. But... Jordan Poole, I think, needed to be moved because I think the Warriors are also thinking from a long-term perspective as well as they don't really want to pay Jordan Poole $30-plus for the next three years. Now, the player that they ended up getting back was maybe the biggest arch-nemesis, a guy that's been a part of many playoff battles against the Warriors, and that being Chris Paul, the last guy that you would expect in a Warrior uniform. Now, Chris Paul is in the back end of his career. He's aged, whatever, 38 years old. He's old for an NBA player, an NBA athlete. But he could still provide a lot of productivity for a team. Most likely coming off the bench, as you already got a well-polished lineup with Steph Clay, Wiggins, Draymond Green, and Kavon Looney. Chris Paul has never came off the bench in his career, which is going to be an interesting conversation to have with Steve Kerr. But I think Chris Paul, despite it being a weird fit, you know, with him in a in a Warriors uniform, he's gonna do a lot of good for this team. Chris Paul is gonna unlock the bench players and the role players, the young players, for this on this Warriors roster. Number one being Jonathan Kaminga. Jonathan Kaminga is 21 years old. He's entering year three. As an NBA pro, the Warriors love Kaminga. They think he's got all the upside in the world. He can be a a terrific player. He just needs the proper supporting cast, if you will. He needs another guy within the second unit to unlock his abilities. And I think Chris Paul could do that. Draymond Green has has gone on record on his own podcast and other outlets and said Chris Paul is going to do a lot for Jonathan Kaminga. And I think he could do that for several other players as well, along with the ro- a rookie, Brandon Pajemski, who we'll get into more later that the Warriors drafted. So there's tons of things that Chris Paul can do. You know, Chris Paul, he, of course, he's going to still score and be the orchestrator within the second unit for this Warriors team. He's going to still provide the 10 assists that he does on the daily, the 12 points as well. So it Chris Paul is definitely going to also call his own number as well and put the ball in the basket. But the thing is with Chris Paul is, is that he only he's on an expiring contract. He's on his last year of what was a four-year deal. He makes a lump sum of money now. But the Warriors are going to have a decision in a year from now with Chris Paul but until then, the Warriors are just trying to maximize what they got with this core unit with Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green and getting a fifth ring on their finger, along with Chris Paul getting his own. Just to wrap up with the whole CP3 Jordan Poole blockbuster deal, the Warriors are going to miss Jordan Poole. They're going to miss Jordan Poole because of the scoring outburst that he had in the regular season. Poole was pretty much that third scorer Behind Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, when Steph and Clay couldn't hit in a random game in November, Jordan Poole would come to the rescue in the fourth quarter and have go on these crazy outbursts where he would score 15 plus points consecutively and just go on these tears and Chase Center would erupt doing it. But we've seen Jordan Poole in the playoffs, you know, just completely fall flat on, their, on his face. And the Warriors are on a mission here where as far as their young players are concerned, they need well-polished players now. They're in win-now mode. And especially with Jordan Poole making all the money that he makes, they can't be wasting time on this. They can't be wasting roster spots where guys are just sitting on the bench in postseason basketball. We saw that. Obviously, he had the bad, terrible Lakers series. And even last year, During the playoff push when the Warriors won the championship, he didn't have a good NBA finals against the Boston Celtics, who was the best team defensively that the Warriors faced during that championship run. The Celtics threw a lot of stuff at Jordan Poole that he couldn't handle. Outside of a couple buzzer beaters at the end of quarters, Jordan Poole really didn't do all that much in that series. And when he did get minutes, it was he was a defensive liability. He was being reckless with the basketball. He was doing way too much with all of his dribble moves. His shot selection just wasn't great. And that's been, the big th- that's been a big thing with me and Jordan Poole that I just really haven't liked. Sure, the scoring's there. But you pay a price with him at the same time being on the floor. And the Warriors just don't have time to mess around. Yes, it was fun while it lasted. The pool party was one hell of a party but you know now he's going to go to DC and please all the wizard ticket holders so i think this is a a win win for both sides it's not the most likable uh probably trade that dub nation wants to uh see it's it seems weird right now but i think once when we get into the season i think people will be will come to a realization that this needed to happen and Especially with the new GM coming in as well and Mike Dunleavy Jr. And the fact that he had to make this move in what was his first big move as a general manager. That's also, it was just bad timing. The Warriors are on a mission here. They're trying to get another championship ring. And as long as this team can stay healthy, there's no doubt that they will be there in the end. Switching gears now from... The blockbuster trades to the NBA coaching carousel, which seems like we always get five or so new coaches in the league every single year. Whether it's new first-year head coaches or if it's coaches just going, well-established head coaches just going from one team to another. I want to just briefly touch on all the new head coaches. Before we get into the NBA Summer League and what that's provided, let's start out with Nick Nurse going to the Philadelphia 76ers. Was let go by the Toronto Raptors. Now go into Philly with Joel Embiid uh, being center stage there in Philly. Not sure how this one's going to work out. Very interesting. My, my whole stance on the Philadelphia 76ers is at some point, you've ran two coaches out of town. You rip, you you fired Brett Brown. You got rid of Doc Rivers this offseason. And now you're bringing in your third head coach since this whole Trust the Process era with Joel Embiid has started. At some point, it's not the coach. And Nick Nurse is one of those guys. He's going to be a defensive-minded head coach. Interesting to see how he changes Joel Embiid. James Harden has vocally said that I'm not going to play with Philly under Nurse. And I think Harden just... Harden's an interesting guy where he can't stay anywhere too long after his departure in Houston. But Nick Nurse... Nick Nurse to the Philadelphia 76ers, sure, it's a culture change. They're going to be a lot better defensively. Offensively, you know, they're going to be just as good as they were last year. But it's going to be the same old song and dance with the Philadelphia 76ers until they clean house over there in Philly and just start restart this thing from the ground up. They've had so many chances to be in the NBA Finals, and all they have in this Trust the Process era is five or six straight years. I've lost count at this point of losing in the second round. Moving on to the Houston Rockets new head coach, Imei Udoka. Ime Udoka replacing Steven Silas. Udoka, if you remember this name, he was formerly the Boston Celtics head coach before Boston decided to part ways with him. Based on some off-the-court activities that had nothing to do with basketball. Ime Udoka is going to the Houston Rockets. Personally, I love the hire from the Rockets. Udoka is a hard coach to play for, which is something that Houston needs with all the young players that they have over there. If Ime Udoka can't solve the problem that the Houston Rockets have going for them right now, Steven Silas wasn't the answer. If Ime Udoka can't solve it, I don't know who will. A young head coach that instantly had success with the Celtics, excited for this team because this is a team that made a, a massive splash in free agency overpaying Fred Van Vliet $40 million. Dealing with the head case and Dylan Brooks, which I think might provide some good for this team. Defensively, sure, we can talk about Dylan Brooks being overpaid, but that's every basketball player in the NBA now. They're all overpaid, they're all not worth their price tag. So they got Van Vliet along with Dylan Brooks during the offseason. And then they got their young players that they've tried to build around with Jalen Green and Kevin Porter. These guys, like I said, they need a hard coach. To play for over there. They need a guy that's going to hold them accountable. Because Steven Silas never did that. And. This is not going to be. Chucking up threes at Rucker Park anymore. For those Houston Rockets. Young players. They're going to have to get their act together. Take better shots. And I think Udoka is the perfect fit. Over there in Houston. In town with Bradley Beal. And they're going to bring in a new coach. And Frank Vogel. To coach this. Super team in the valley. Frank Vogel, former Orlando Magic head coach, most recently with the Los Angeles Lakers, got bounced out of town, got thrown under the bust on his way out in Los Angeles after Rob Perlinka and Jeannie Buss tried to pair up LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Russell Westbrook together. Russell Westbrook, that trio, really didn't work out all that well. Westbrook, clearly a bad fit within that team. The team struggled massively, to say the least, with that trio. Frank Vogel was pretty much the scapegoat. Basically, we're going to blame it all on him when even he couldn't really do anything to solve what they had going on there in uh, Los Angeles. But he got bounced out of town. He took a year off, and then he ends up with another super team pretty much on paper with uh, the Phoenix Suns. So he's no stranger to coaching these, these teams that got a lot of stars in one room. He did it in Los Angeles as now he's going to do it with uh, Devin Booker, Kevin Durant and Bradley Beal. And he's going to have to, he's going to have to manage that three man group on top of all the veteran minimum guys that they got around them. Can they do it? Most definitely would, He's definitely a coach that I would feel comfortable doing it as. I mean, he did win a championship with the Los Angeles Lakers. Sure, it was a bubble. People can say whatever it was during the COVID season and what and whatnot, but he made it work with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. So give credit to Matt Ishiba, brand new owner for the Phoenix Suns. On, sure you bounced out Monty Williams. And a guy that kind of rebuilt that franchise in Phoenix. But Phoenix, just like a lot of teams in the NBA, uh, they got one goal right now. They were in the NBA finals, unfortunately for them, lost a couple years ago to the Milwaukee Bucks. And they're trying to get back to the promised land right now. Frank Vogel trying to take them there. I think it's a good fit that Frank Vogel's going to the Suns. And, you know, if despite the the Phoenix suns being a Pacific division rival to my golden state warriors. I mean, if he, Frank Vogel, people better start writing him apology notes and thank you cards. Uh, if he could somehow, some way uh, get the Phoenix suns, their first ever uh, NBA championship uh, in franchise history. Uh, Cause that would be, that would be something uh, pretty amazing. Sure. You could say what you want on paper with that team, but you know, it's, you got a lot of egos in that room. Uh, we already know that Kevin Durant. Uh, sometimes he could be a he could be a tough customer. Uh, just check out his Twitter. But yeah, I, I like the Frank Vogel move that Matt Ishiba did, and I think uh, they're gonna have tons of success uh, with him under the helm. As for the guy that got bounced out of there, Monty Williams, he's also he's departing Phoenix, and he will be arriving in the Detroit Pistons, the Motor City, as another deal that I absolutely love as well. Monty Williams rebuilt that Phoenix Suns franchise in the bubble. That's where they got a lot of their hype, a lot of their success with Devin Booker, a well-respected uh, individual with around the league. Chris Paul absolutely loved him, a large reason why Chris Paul went to Phoenix. Sure, he didn't get along with DeAndre Ayton, you know, coaches and players are going to have their issues and whatnot. Clearly was a problem between the big man, Aiton, and head coach. However, I like this deal with Bonnie Williams going to Detroit because not only did he rebuild but and what he had in Phoenix, but this Detroit Pistons team, they're just about ready to Kind of climb out of 15th in the Eastern Conference now. This back-to-back years now where they've been the bottom of the totem pole. I think they're ready to, you know, hit the ground running now. They got Cade Cunningham. And they just got a a lot of high upside guys that Monty Williams is going to try to develop over there. Jaden Ivey, a polarizing player. James Wiseman didn't materialize with the Warriors, but now he's got a clean slate in Detroit. Jalen Duren an electrifying explosive player beef stew aka isaiah stewart so they got a couple pieces in place here sure this is not a finished product by any means but if there's one guy that can do it it's monty williams uh this is a guy that where he needs to get the young players to buy in i think he could sure the money obviously detroit feels really confident with him because they threw a A massive money bag in his face. And obviously he took it. Sure, I'm not saying Detroit is going to be a playoff team next year. But if you need to get the right coach in there, I think Williams is the guy. And and if you could get this team in the right direction, get some productivity on the floor, try to unlock what these young players have within their game... I think this is this could be a positive outlook for Detroit because obviously Cade Cunningham is that dude, but it's just about getting that number two, number three guys and just those complementary pieces along with those veteran guys all tied in together, and Detroit could be cooking up something good in the Motor City. But Bonnie Williams, in my professional opinion, is the guy, but it's clearly going to take time there in Detroit. And then to round it all off, we got two first-year head coaches, starting off with Darko Rokovic being hired by the Toronto Raptors. Rokovic was an assistant coach with the Memphis Grizzlies. Word on the street is that he was a likable guy within the Memphis Grizzlies organization. I think the, the Raptors were missing that player's coach within Nick Nurse. Nick Nurse... He's an absolute monster schematically known for bringing back the box and one into the NBA after running it on the golden state warriors years ago in the NBA finals, when he was with the Raptors with Steph Curry being public enemy number one within that box and one scheme. But I think right now that Nick nurse lost the room in Toronto. Anyone that was watching Toronto Raptor games during the back half of the season, it would that place was a train wreck. Fred Van Vliet wanted out. Dude was just trying to shoot his way into a $40 million contract. Pascal Siakam seemed lost. You had Scotty Barnes, who was just not himself after his Rookie of the Year season. OG Ananobi, who was a, a grit and grinder all year long, but also wasn't consistent with his, within his offensive game defensively. He's one of the best on-ball defenders in the NBA. It was just, it was a bad situation in Toronto in Nick Nurse's last year. And I think Messiah Jiri and own, the ownership group within in the Toronto Raptors, they just needed a player's coach. Messiah Jiri is always known for throwing a curveball at it and into the strike zone. He's going to make the most outside ordinary move out there. And I think this is a total Raptor move here with Rokovic being the head coach here. Not sure how it's going to work from a, you know, offensively and defensively with this team because we don't really know Rockovich's style. But this is a team that clearly needed a culture change and a team that is going to be centralized around Scotty Barnes and OG Ananobi. Pascal Siakam's on the trade block. Fred Van Vliet is no longer there. They bring in Dennis Schroeder. So this is a team that is kind of retooling, and I think they're retooling that within their roster, but also within their their coaching as well. So Toronto's going to be an interesting team to watch uh, this season as they got a lot of changes going on there. And finally, last but not least, the Milwaukee Bucks, maybe the most shocking coaching change, firing Mike Budenholzer after he took this Milwaukee Bucks team to the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. He gets bounced out after a first-round exit to the Miami Heat, and they bring in Adrian Griffin, first-year head coach, was a Toronto Raptors assistant, well-respected within the league. Don't really know too much about Adrian Griffin either. All we know is this. This was a a move that was approved by Giannis Antetokounmpo. Giannis... He's one of these guys where he's going to get say in everything that they do because he's that important to a team. So, do I agree that Mike Budenholzer should have gotten fired? A little bit aggressive, I think. It is what it is. I don't get paid the big bucks. This is going to be a team that's still contending, whether it was Coach Bud or Adrian Griffin. So, we're just going to have to. This is just kind of a wait and see type of thing with Milwaukee. Two teams with first-year head coaches, the Raptors and the Bucks, going to be interesting to see how those teams evolve as the season progresses in the NBA. Our final segment for this NBA episode here on the sports sentiment is the NBA Summer League. The NBA Summer League taking center stage in Vegas. And as I mentioned in the intro... That the NBA Summer League this year has just got tons of buzz. Part of that being that every single game is nationally televised on ESPN. And they got two games pretty much going on at once in Las Vegas. But I think you're starting to see within the NBA Summer League, it's just getting bigger and bigger every single year. And some people are probably thinking, come on, the NBA Summer League, who who gives two rips about the Summer League? But I think you're starting to see within the Summer League is that the young players, whether it be the rookies, the second-year guys, the G League players that are trying to play for a spot within the NBA roster, they're taking it seriously. They've always taken it seriously. But I think now it's just finally getting the proper promotion, marketing it's in the right destination in Vegas. So you're getting the MB the, the stars, the NBA players actually going to this stuff, which is cool because you kind of get that season angle and perspective within the players. You know, if you watch one of these games, the commentators are loose, you know, the sideline reporters will go talk to the stars and interview them. Steph Curry did an interview when the Warriors were playing in their Summer League game this past week. So, a lot of exciting stuff within the Summer League. But also, I think just the amount of hype it's gotten. Victor Wimbenyama, the Victor Wimbenyama effect uh, is truly uh, in full effect already within the Summer League. His debut game with the San Antonio Spurs, the most viewed game for the Summer League ever. So, Wembenyama obviously boosting their ratings, you know, selling out the Thomas and Mack Center in Vegas. Victor Wembenyama's debut was so highly regarded within the NBA world that his Summer League debut game was tickets on the resale market were going for over $800 for a Summer League game. So, that right there tells it all. That tells it all how big, how box office Victor Wembenyama is. Part of that being it in Las Vegas too. I mean, let's just be honest. If the NBA Summer League with Victor Wimbenyama debuting and playing technically in his first NBA game, if the game if if the game were in like Sioux Falls, South Dakota, you'd think the game would be you'd think the games would be eight hundred dollars. I don't think so. Obviously, that was just kind of an outlier game because of Wimbenyama's debut. But say what you will, the Summer League is starting to come around. And there's been some intriguing players that have been, been playing in this thing as well. So I want to list off a couple guys that i that have been on my radar. Because I've actually been keeping a good eye on this Summer League quite a bit. As it's been going on for, I would say, the past two weeks now. Let's start out with the Cleveland Cavaliers guard in Amani Bates. Amani Bates, a second round pick in this year's NBA draft. Should have been a first round pick, but had some off-the-court issues when he was a part of the Memphis Tigers a year ago during his college days. Memphis the Memphis Tigers actually dropped him, said you're off the team. And the only and the only college team in the country that was willing them take him back was the Eastern Michigan Eagles. So Bates went over to Eastern Michigan, put up a bunch of points. Eastern Michigan, from a basketball standpoint, not the greatest. So, dude, with you literally had like a five-star recruit coming out of high school on Eastern Michigan, taking like 40 shots a game, being inefficient, Still managed to get drafted. And this dude's absolutely balled out for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Has dropped 20 points in his in his most recent game. The Cavaliers' summer league team has been playing really good. As it stands right now, they are 4-0. and And he looked like just a lot of what we saw with the Memphis Tigers with him. Could shoot the ball, three-level score. And what I like about him is he's been more efficient with his shooting. He's not rushing his shot. The thing with him, he's extremely streaky. And it's been good streaky with him. I really don't want to see him, and I don't think we're going to see this if he is on the Cleveland Cavaliers and on the NBA roster, is I don't want to see him as one of those guys that's going to just pull up every shot opportunity that he has. If he is more selective with the shots and takes good shots and the team and the players around him, set him up, he is going to flourish in the NBA and he's got to, he needs to put on some size, but I think that will just come over time. So Imani Bates should have been a first round pick. If he didn't have all this off the court drama in his college career He's definitely got first-round talent, did follow the second round because of it. I think he's got a really good opportunity to perform for an already good team in the Cleveland Cavaliers if he is on the 15-man roster once when the regular season comes around. Jordan Walsh for the Boston Celtics. Jordan Walsh is a rookie out of Arkansas, was a second-round pick. Probably because of how good the Boston Celtics are, he's not gonna get be a part of a rotation piece in the regular season. But I like Walsh's game. Really good defensive player. The thing with Walsh is his offensive game is really not all much there. His three point shooting is inconsistent. His just his offensive game as a whole needs some work. But he does everything else right. He play makes. He rebounds, he defends. His shooting will come over time. He has shot the ball really well, particularly game against the Los Angeles Lakers. He's looked good in this summer league. If you catch the the back half of the summer league, just look out for the bald guy with no eyebrows. And that's Jordan Walsh. Keep an eye on him because even if he doesn't make The NBA roster, this could be a guy that lights it up in the G League and might not be on the Celtics, but you will see him elsewhere making some noise on an NBA roster. One more player that I want to touch on before I hit a team within the Summer League, that player being Brandon Pajemski, the Warriors guard, drafted out of Santa Clara right here on my neck of the woods in the South Bay. Brandon Pajemski, I watched a lot of Santa Clara games this past season. Brandon Pajemski was a really good player, was the number one option for the Santa Clara Broncos this past year. Really big fan of him. Averaged over 20 points per game. Filled up the rebounds, I think averaged over five rebounds a game, five assists a game. Like, he just filled up the stat sheet really well. He shot over 44% from three for the Santa Clara Broncos this past year. What I've liked with him within the summer league is he hasn't settled for, for himself. He has made to guys like Lester Quinonez and he's just one of those guys for the Warriors in this summer league that is just relentless. He's fighting for every rebound. His playmaking, playmaking abilities is there. He did this at Santa Clara very well and I've liked what he's shown here in the summer league with the Warriors and he's de- but he's defended. So you're kind of just getting the the whole package with Brandon Pajemski. This was a guy before entering the transfer portal in college and getting to Santa Clara. He was on the Illinois fighting a line. I highly highly regarded recruit coming out of high school. Didn't play at all at Illinois. And he, he went into Santa Clara where Jalen Williams, who is a really good young player for the Oklahoma City Thunder, he was a first-round pick there. Perf- Brandon Pajemski performed well at Santa Clara this year, was a first-round pick by the Warriors. He's going to fit really well with the Warriors. I personally believe, and a lot of people have disagreed with me, that he's going to make the NBA roster. It's kind of a little bit of a hot take, but he's one of these guys that, He's going to listen to the coach. He's going to run into a wall for this team. He said that right after he got drafted by the Warriors in his interview uh, on draft night. I'm just a big fan of this kid's game. Excited to see what he does for the Warriors. Whether if he wants to just chuck up threes and he's more of one of those catch and shoot guys. As long as he's not a defensive liability, which I don't think he will. You know, he's going to get a roster spot on this team at some point. Even if it's a two-way contract, I think. You're going to see Brandon Pajemski on the floor for the Warriors playing productive minutes. Again, that's just my opinion. A lot of people have disagreed with me. Because I've talked to a lot of Warrior fans off the mic. But a big fan of Pajemski's game, liked what he did at Santa Clara. And I think his the game within his summer league, he's just doing the little things right, and I'm very excited for that. The final thing I want to touch on... for within the Summer League and just this episode in general is what the Utah Jazz are doing. The Utah Jazz got a really good rebuild going, and this Summer League has improved, has has shown that. The Jazz basically were this contender years ago with Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert and Mike Conley that were fighting for a championship, and they were just kind of always settling for the first and second round, never really got over the hump. Played a lot of exciting a lot of exciting games in Utah, but just never got it done. Danny Ainge comes into town, one of the best architects of constructing a team just in basketball in general. Constructed that Boston Celtics team's years, that Boston Celtic team years ago, and look what it is now. Doing the very same for this Utah Jazz team very quietly. He revitalized Larry Markinen's career after. Markin in four years in Chicago was really nothing. Markin in his first year in Utah was an all-star and a 20-plus point score a night. Walker Kessler, who was a second-round steal. Kessler, seven over seven feet tall. He's a center. He came in. Some may argue that he should have been second or third place when it comes to the rookie of the year ladder. He was doing a lot of good things very quietly in Utah, blocking over two shots a night, and for a rookie, was just really productive in Utah. Danny Ainge also basically got John Collins from the Atlanta Hawks for pretty much nothing, and they're three three young players that have played in this summer league, two being rookies. The third guy played last season, and... Put up some numbers off the bench that in year two is really going to excel. Their two rookies, Taylor Hendricks, first round pick out of UCF. UCF, University of Central Florida, their first ever first round draft pick in Taylor Hendricks. Taylor Hendricks, one of those big bulky dudes that can spread the floor, play defense, explosive player. He's got a lot of high upside, nobody watches University of Central Florida games. They're hardly on TV, so Hendricks is definitely one of those guys where he can go through some growing pains in Utah, come off the bench, do some things, grow and develop, and still be a big-time big rotational piece. And then you got Keontae George, first-round pick out of Baylor, He's just another one of those guys too. He's not as big as Hendricks, but he's another one of those guys that could defend, shoot the three. He's exactly what you want an NBA player uh, in the modern day NBA to build a championship team. Danny Ainge did a terrific job there with his two first round draft picks. And then you got Ochai Agbaji a player that I briefly mentioned he played last year, was a big part in college. He was a four-year college player. The number one option on that Kansas Jayhawk team that won the NCAA tournament two years ago. He came off the bench last year and had a couple double-digit scoring nights. Just another three-level scorer that could score on anywhere on the floor, get streaky, and get hot at the right time. Another guy that, sure, he can develop his defense, but that won't come over time. He's just another plug-and-play guy that I think the Jazz will really utilize well. And, you know, the Utah Jazz, you know, they're a small market team. They're not that marquee-free agent type team. They got Jordan Clarkson there, who, who's been a six-man, won six-man of the year several times, to- once or twice in his career, but he's won the award. He's definitely could, that could score 20 points a night. Sure, are you going to build around him? Is he a starter, a frontline starter that you're going to build a championship team around? Probably not. But this is a Utah Jazz team that is intriguing me because of Danny Ainge's history, because of the moves that he makes, because of the way he drafts. This is, if you're a Utah Jazz fan, you can't be more happy on how the rebuild is going because this was a team that I think coming into last, coming into the season last year was thinking, oh, we're tanking for the Victor Wembanyama Yama sweepstakes. And this team over-exceeded Big time in the first half because of Laurie Markkinen. And you're starting to see in just one year in this rebuild, is looking really good. So I think Utah Jazz, this is going to be a team in a two to three year window that's going to look promising. And I think this team coming into the 2023 season... Is going to be a tough out in the regular season. We're we're gonna see it on the on the nightly basis where the Utah Jazz are gonna come and in, rolling into town. And if you take them lightly, they're gonna steal a game on the regular season scheduled. They despite them rebuilding, they were right in the mix for that play in tournament for a team that looked like they were gonna be rock bottom to be where they're at now. Two to three years. Watch out for this Utah Jazz team because they got the right general manager that's calling all the shots and. Steering the wheel. And you're just seeing the little things right now. Nailing the first round draft picks. Making a quiet trade here and there. Acquiring some draft picks in the process. Getting some getting some guys that under exceeded as young players in, in previous destinations. I.e. Larry Markkinen. Really come to their own. They just got something really... They got something brewing in Utah and... There's not going to be a lot of people that say that. I'm probably going to be on an island in this one, but come back to this in in a couple years and you're going to be like, "Oh yeah, Nick. Nick was on the Uta- Nick was drinking the Utah Jazz Kool-Aid for the longest time." So, the Utah Jazz, a team that is way ahead of their rebuild as we speak. But that's going to do it for this episode of the Sports Sentiment. Like I said, three weeks out to the NFL preseason, college football season in about six weeks' time, we're going to be covering it all here. A heavy dose of football coming your way. Couldn't be more excited for it. It's going to be, it's going to be a whole lot of craziness once in the once when the fall rolls around. But it's going to be very entertaining. I can tell you that much, and we're going to have it all here for you on the sports sentiment. So once again, I'm Nick Urias and be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.